Welcome to Wellness Now, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. Each week we go in depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to Wellness Now, presented by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. I'm your host, Dr. Michael White. Chances are now you or someone you know has been directly impacted by COVID-19 disease. But what is really like for patients in the hospital and the teams caring for them? We're talking with Dr. Ross Goldberg, District Medical Group Physician and Vice Chair of Surgery at Valleywise Health. Dr. Goldberg, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, we have talked a lot over the last you know, 20 months or so around COVID-19 disease and the trials and tribulations that we've had both here in the hospital and as uh, Arizona in a whole. How do we stand today in Arizona compared with the rest of the country for cases? Well, looking at the country right now, I think we're, if you look at the rate, we're 33rd or 32nd out of 50 last time I looked. So we're not the best. We're not the worst. We're kind of hovering a little below 50%, you know, 50th percentile. But we're doing okay. I think there's a lot of factors to go into that, you know, looking at our vaccination rate, looking at what we went through last year. So we're kind of middle of the road dealing with the issues right now. As we have seen this, and we've seen sort of these, you know, peaks and valleys of COVID-19 disease throughout the pandemic, how is the team at the hospital and, you know, healthcare workers in general holding up after being able to sustain at this rapid pace for almost two years? I think at some point we're we're starting to see some people kind of be done with it across the country, which is not a surprise. For a variety of reasons. Uh, I, I have touted at this institution, I think the transparency from top down has helped deal with it because we knew what was coming and we knew, we knew what was going on, which I think played a good role in maintaining our mental health that we were all working together. But it is getting frustrating for a lot of us to have to keep on talking and dealing with this when there are solutions out there that can help slow this spread down. And the rapid amount of misinformation out there making it more difficult for us to do our jobs. So I think you're seeing a frustration across the board, which I worry about could eventually have some really negative consequences for all of our patients across the country. Well, I think we're starting to see some of that now as we look at, you know, some of the situations, you know, not only here in Arizona, but if you look towards Idaho and Alaska and some of these places where they're truly having the ability to not, you know, move patients around easily, you know, in their facilities. As I will tell you and as you know every day, our challenge is not the amount of physical space or equipment to care for patients. It's really those qualified professionals that have have the wherewithal and the capacity still to be able to treat them. We've lost a number of healthcare professionals in droves from delivering health care because they're tired. And, and you and I, we've talked about it with each other, and you and I have talked about it publicly, that this was the one resource that we did not have replacement for, that it wasn't like we had backups ready to go, and that if you abuse this resource, you could run into a problem. In fact, I can remember you and I both saying publicly last year, predicting this thing happening that we're seeing if we don't get a handle of what's going on, just because out of exhaustion and just wanting to not deal with it anymore is people would rather go do something else because they don't want to deal with the stress of the situation, the abuse being thrown at healthcare workers for just saying and practicing 
evidence-based medicine. I think you put all that together, you know, we're going to find a problem as this continues to move forward unless we start, you know, turning and moving in a different direction. Yeah, certainly, you know, the COVID-19 disease and this pandemic has been a lesson for all of us, you know. Yes, we've seen pandemics in the course of human history before, but we did not have the rapidity and the access to information that we have today. You know, many of the public are able to see, you know, a lot of the conversations and the discernment that goes along with how to manage these things and how we as scientists, you know, learn new information on a daily basis that affects how we have the individual patient interaction. Yes, we get a lot of this information, but it takes time to process it. And then how, you know, we as healthcare delivery professionals say, how does this information apply to the person that I'm sitting in front of today to help them make the best treatment decision? I think you bring up a good point and there are two things to that. So first going backwards, the 1918 pandemic, a lot of the issues we're facing with the public, we're still dealing with today, but with the, the advent of social media, the internet, you're getting that information in, in such waves, the misinformation, it's causing trouble. And I just saw a recent interview with Dr. Walensky last week after you know her decision on the booster shots. You know, they're talking to her about, you know, she she was on a different page than some of her advisors. And you know, the argument of transparency versus is we'll go into a, a room, close the door, have a conversation, and come out like you're the voice of God. And so if you want transparency, which we all want should want, it's gonna be a little messy and you have and then the people who are there having the discussion need to better communicate yes, you're seeing the sausage being made, but now here's the end product. It was an interesting perspective from her saying this is a bit messy, but because we're transparent, which is not what we've had before. So you've got to balance that and choose. Do you want to know what's going on or do you want to just be told what's going on? And if you want to know, it's going to be a little messy at times and we just have to do a good job of relaying that information. If you're just tuning in, we're getting a COVID-19 update with Dr. Ross Goldberg. Valleywise Health offers exceptional care at several locations across Maricopa County. If you need medical care or have questions for one of our clinicians, visit valleywisehealth.org to get started. You've talked a little bit about vaccines and kind of the moving target around vaccines and, and boosters and things. Kind of give us the current state of vaccines, the importance of vaccination against COVID-19 disease. Well, I think we've got a pretty good amount of data now with millions of people have been vaccinated uh, across the world where vaccines, they're working. Uh, again, I think we have to have a realistic idea of what the vaccines are supposed to do. Our vaccines were designed and pushed out to make sure we did not have to go to the hospital, we did not get severe disease, that we did not die. No one ever said you're going to have like a shield and be immune from COVID moving forward. In fact, you look at historical just any interaction with coronavirus, it's always been kind of a moving target with building immunity. So the vaccines were designed to kind of do what the flu vaccine was doing, temper it, prevent you from going to the hospital, make it a mild issue if you get it at all, but increase your ability to protect yourself from it. They're doing that, even with the variants right now. And you're seeing the majority of people who are in the hospital now are, are unvaccinated. This has been proven over and over again. So. It's kind of proven our point, and we, again, you and I have talked about it and publicly that if you allow a virus to continue to spread, it will evolve and mutate and try to get itself outside the vaccine. It's still got a pool of people to do that with the unvaccinated. If it's in a vaccinated group, it has a much harder time to do it because it doesn't have the ability to replicate as much. And I think 
vaccinations still are our best line of defense to stopping the spread. Will this become something that we deal with every year? Most likely, more like a flu type situation. I would not be surprised. But would you rather have a little sniffle and be a little annoyed getting a shot versus having a breathing tube and having the potential of dying or having long-term effects? Uh, I just got a call yesterday from a friend, young, healthy patient, friend of theirs had COVID last year, is having open heart surgery now because of the prolonged effects they're having from COVID. So would you rather have these, these issues of long-term issues that we can't fully predict or have a vaccine that we know works, has shown for months now to have some protective features to it with some side effects, but nothing to the level of COVID? And I think we haven't seen, you know, nearly what we are going to see in the future of those that have long-lasting impacts for the, from this and from this infection. And therefore, you know, to your point, we have a tool that's readily available, accessible almost on every corner at this point, you know, within the major metropolitan areas to have this to be able to get vaccinated. You know, we've heard a lot around COVID-19 disease and the ability of this virus to change. You know, we've heard a lot about this Delta variant. Are we concerned, you know, that this virus is going to continue to change and ultimately we'll get to a form that isn't protected by the vaccine? Uh, that's the concern, yes. So in the country, the, I think it's 99% of the cases now are Delta. Uh, so Delta is the predominant form in this country, as was in the world. But there's still other ones out there. You've heard rumors of Mu, of Lambda, of Gamma. These are all ones they're studying because and even though they haven't taken a foothold, Delta has kind of held its place as the number one. You know, viruses have a very simple goal, that is to replicate and spread and it will do it as efficiently as possible. So it learns as it replicates and inside one human has the ability to replicate numerous times over because of the number of cells you have and considering uh, it's a microscopic organism. So if you think about that, it's evolution sped up because of the number of times it can replicate. So yes, there is a concern that it will continue to evolve and eventually potentially evade what, our, what the vaccines do by creating the antibodies against the spike protein. If that were to happen, well, we're right back to where we were pre-vaccines, which would be a disaster. And again, we have spoken about this and spoken publicly that what you're seeing with Delta is the exact result of having a large group of the population not be vaccinated. The virus found a foothold. It was able to replicate and then replicated into a form that was able to spread much more efficiently, even in the vaccinated group, because it's learning and evolving. Dr. Ross Goldberg is describing the trials and tribulations of treating patients with COVID-19 disease and the impacts on the healthcare workforce. You can make a virtual or in-person appointment with a district medical group provider at ValleyWise Health by calling 833-855-9973 Monday through Friday from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. or by visiting valleywisehealth.org and clicking the book appointment button. Ross, let's talk a little bit around what we're seeing in the hospital when somebody is hospitalized with COVID-19 disease. How bad is it being in the hospital versus is being able to be treated at home and just being in quarantine? Well, I mean, ask anyone if they'd like to be isolated in a room for, for 24-7, having no physical contact, and the only people you interact with are covered in so much gear, you don't know who they are, what they are, can't see their faces, can't do anything with them, and you really can't leave your room. And if you do, they're going to bundle you up and get you in and out as soon as you can and minimize the number of interactions you have. 
versus at home where, yes, you may be home alone, but you are free to roam in your home. You're not wearing all this gear. You're not kind of isolated to one room. Uh, and you can still potentially have interactions. And as social creatures, and that's what humans are, that isolation is really, I think, the key part of it. It's it's scary. And then you're now alone with something you know that potentially could really hurt you or kill you. And you're in an unknown place. No one likes being in the hospital. I've been a patient myself. It's not a pleasant experience. You want to be home. And so you put all that together. It, it hasn't changed. That's the amazing part. The experience of being a hospitalized COVID patient has not changed from the beginning. You get isolated. You get treated. But if you get sicker, then you start having things like breathing tubes and other things inserted. Now you're completely isolated and you don't know if you'll ever see anyone ever again who isn't wearing a gown, a mask, a face mask, <laughs> all that stuff. And so it can be a very scary proposition. And it, it, I feel bad for those people who are in the hospital because they're, they're alone. It is. It's truly one of these times in medicine, and I think you've articulated it very well, where, you know, being isolated because we're worried, you know, we want to protect, you know, the team and those around the person, you know, from passing this infection. We want to interrupt this chain of transmission around it, but we want to do everything in our power to be able to help this individual that's infected with this virus get better utilizing all of these tools that we have to our disposal. So how has our treatment changed through the pandemic? You know, certainly early on, as I remember us talking, you know, a year and a half ago, we didn't have a lot. We've learned some things. So how has our treatment evolved? Like everything with medicine, we evolve as we learn, and there's a lot of trials and errors. I mean, how many people were first talking about early innovation? You know, there's the proning techniques. Is that good or that bad? What medications work? Uh, some people were throwing everything in the kitchen sink and trying to figure it out. Steroids work in some areas, but where uh, the creation of these synthetic antibodies, Regeneron and those, when can we give those? When should we give those? It's been, we're better. I think people have a better understanding, at least compared to where we were last year. Uh, could we do better? We probably will evolve and do better as things move forward. Uh, we will try other medications. There are new ones coming. I know of uh, research on a pill form that they're trying to give you where you take a pill every day. It's like a short-term thing, kind of like Tamiflu, the same concept, that you can take that in the beginning to mitigate and make the symptoms better. You know, people are attacking it from a lot of different ways, which is good. Again, you're seeing science, you know, working, you know, at a, at a pace it needs to to figure things out. And what we're doing is we're sharing information. It's not like it's a secret. If someone finds something works, they put it out there and other people try to see if it works to really try it and kind of help each other as we figure out the best way to treat things. We're better. Um, we can, will continue to get better and we will continue to evolve as we learn more about the virus. Uh, I think all of us is that delicate balance. While we want to learn more and want to treat more, we'd like to have less patients who are positive with it uh, so that we can slow things down. And that's the real trick here. You know, and I think that's very important is this is the process that we go through in medicine with any type of disease, COVID-19 notwithstanding. We will say, you know, this is how this disease is impacting the human body. This is how it's affecting their physiology. What are some ways that we can do to help restore some of that normal physiology? So you hear us start talking about different medications to try. And they may work, or the one person may have gotten better by taking this medicine. Does that mean this medicine works? Not necessarily. We have to test it in large groups of populations to say, this truly has an impact versus the human body just 
got better on its own. Really, the medicine didn't do much. Right. And that's why you see us changing the recommendations around things like hydroxychloroquine. Some of these things that we talked about early in the pandemic, you hear all of this news now about ivermectin. In the same sort of vein is, yes, this one person took this, may have gotten better. Did the medicine really do this? Or was this done by something else? And this is why we rigorously study all of these things to say, yes, this was truly the one thing that made this person better, rather than subject people to all of these things that have tremendous side effects, other problems that may be going on. Well, I think there's a point there, and it's, it's a term that's been used a lot recently, is, well, I've done my own research. I think we need to clarify what research actually is. Going online and Googling something is not doing research. Uh, what you're talking about is the research being done. Are the clinical trials are investigating? You know, we both have research experience. I've got basic science bench work experience, so I understand what they're talking about when they're going through. Am I doing the bench work? No, I'm not. I am either involved with seeing what can be treated at the patient level, or I'm going and reviewing the studies that have been published to see are they well-designed studies that I can agree with and follow the data. I can do that as a scientist, as someone that reviews journals, reviews articles all the time for multiple journals, using that scientific background. So I think people need to realize doing your own research by reading websites is not doing your research. It's reading about what other people have done or what other people's interpretation of what's been done. I think what you're pointing out, the most important part is this is how we do things. We trial and error, we go through, we do it to not at the expense of the patient, but try to help the patient. And our recommendations change over time. My favorite example of that is the egg. How many times has the egg been told it's good for you, it's bad for you, this part's good for you? Name a decade and it's changed. That's because our information has changed over time as we've dealt with it. And that's what science is. It's an evolving process. It's never static. And once it's done, it's done. We always are continuing to learn and strive to do better. And I agree. And I think that's part of this throughout this pandemic. And I think you've alluded to it very well is the amount of information that is publicly available now is not anything that we've ever seen in our lifetimes around one specific condition and how an individual can interpret this and utilize this um, varies from individual to individual. And that's why it takes conversations with your healthcare professional to say, help me understand all of these inputs and all of this information that's coming out on an hourly basis to make the best decision for me, you know, that's going to affect my physiology and how that may impact the broader community. Exactly. It, we, people forget medicine is its own language. And you need to have people that are fluent in that language to understand and interpret. It's as if I were to grab blueprints from some rocket engine and think I now, because I read it online, could design a rocket engine like it would be okay. I would need an engineer to help interpret and guide me through that process. I can't assume just because I read about it that I'm now an expert on it. It's the same thing with medicine. You can read certain sources, but you need to go to those who can read and understand the language to help interpret and guide you. And as you, as you said, you need to go talk to your own physician to find out what's going on. You know, as we're coming into the fall and the winter again, you know, one of the concerns that we have as we've seen the number of hospitalizations or the number of individuals hospitalized increase, not for just COVID-19 disease, but other diseases as well, the number of healthcare workforce continue to, to diminish, unfortunately, around this. How are we concerned about this in combination with the upcoming influenza season? 
no one's really excited about it. I can tell you that much. Um, now the argument is, well, look at flu last year. Flu went down, right? Because the mitigation strategies to fight COVID were the same ones to fight the flu. It wasn't like we reinvented something. We we put in mitigation strategies to stop the virus. My hope is that those mitigation strategies will continue, and we'll see it. Uh, we'll be able to keep the flu at bay. I worry about with everyone's kind of fatigue and everything that you're going to see a spike, and then we're dealing with both COVID and the flu at the same time. Uh, again, I would advocate for people to get their flu vaccine to do, again, what we did last year to really stop the spread. But if you take a decrease or tired workforce, you add another problem on top of what we're already dealing with, I worry about how long the health system as a whole, as in the country, can withstand that, really the planet. I mean, we are really abusing our health system right now to levels we haven't in a long time. And I worry how long, much longer we're able to maintain working at that level, like any engine, it can only go for so long. I really don't want to find out what our breaking point is, but some people seem to be destined to try it for some reason. No, and I think that's a wonderful analogy. And just like you would take care of the engine, it's time to start to help to take care um, of those folks that are delivering that day-to-day, hour-by-hour bedside care um, in all of our healthcare facilities, in all of our clinics, and all of our pharmacies. You know, as we're going forward, and we certainly understand that you know another virus, the influenza virus, on top of this, is something that we also can you know have a vaccine that's effective um, against preventing that severe illness and hospitalization, as you are very well articulated earlier around this that's our goal with these vaccines we know we're not going to stop it we know we're not going to cure it but we want to help people not get so sick that they wind up in the hospital you know for prolonged periods of time um, around this because certainly we know with COVID-19 disease, you come in the hospital with a severe infection, you're going to be in the hospital for, you know, I look at our length of stay here within Valley Wise Health, you're going to be in the hospital for 18 to 20 to 25 days. You wind up in the ICU, you're at 25 to 30 days easily. And yeah. it's, it's not, not even a conversation at that particular point. So get vaccinated around this. And what's great now is that we can get them together. So if you, you know, weren't vaccinated against COVID-19 disease and you've chosen to get that vaccine and you're going to get your flu shot, you can get one in one arm, one in the other arm and be start to be protected against both of these viruses. Exactly. And I think people again, if you're if you're not sure, talk to your own physician. Talk to the person that's been taking care of you that knows you, that knows your medical history and can walk you through this. Don't just go by the talking heads you see on TV. I'm even saying don't even potentially listen to me. Listen to your own doctor. Listen to the one who knows you really well. Uh, But my advice is to go to the ones that know you the best and talk to them about these issues and your concerns. That's the only way we're going to get ahead of this. I mean, we're seeing it. We've seen, you know, examples. The states that are the most vaccinated have the least cases. Like, this isn't hard math. There is a direct correlation here, and we're seeing it. And the argument of natural immunity, that's one thing I know we haven't brought up, but there is that question about, well, if I've been infected, should I still get the vaccine? Having literally just talked to a member of the CDC advisory panel like three days ago, they still recommend that because the issues with natural immunity is we don't know if you're immune to the wild type, if you'll be protected by the against the variants. We don't know how long that lasts, and they're still understanding that. So to be protective... They still recommend getting the vaccine, even if you've been exposed in the past. They said, for, the data's already shown, if you've been infected and then get at least one dose, your immune response goes way up. So that data is out there already. So even with natural immunity, they're recommending vaccinations to provide that extra layer of protection. 
Dr. Goldberg, as we're kind of ending our time here together, what is kind of the one last message that you want to leave with our audience today with regards to COVID-19 disease? The vaccines have proven they work. Like any medication, there are always small chances of side effects and risks that we are continuing to study. I think if you've got concerns and it's okay to have concerns, you're not a bad person for having concerns, but go talk to your doctor. Talk to the person that knows you and takes care of you and helps put it in perspective for you. Don't rely on what you see on TV. Don't rely on what you read on the internet. Go talk to the person that you trust with your medical care on a day-to-day basis to talk about this issue. And hopefully they can make you feel comfortable enough that you'd be willing to get the vaccine to protect not just yourself, but those around you. Dr. Goldberg, thank you so much for your time today. If you missed any part of the show or want to hear something again, you can access all of our blogs and podcasts at valleywisehealth.org slash bewell. We hope you enjoyed listening to Wellness Now, brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org slash bewell. There you'll find blogs, podcasts, and information about the healthcare providers you heard on the show. You can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org slash bewell. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.